Bible, turn with me to Revelation tonight, chapter number one, book of Revelation, chapter number one. I appreciate the service tonight and the good spirit and the good singing, all the way from the congregational singing to the choir and then the specials. And you know, that's a big part of it, is you choose that song they just sang. Paul said, I determined within myself that I would not come to you again with heaviness, right? Or in heaviness. He made up the decision that he would not discourage those he meant to encourage. He was standing before Agrippa and said, I think myself happy. Sometimes you just got to decide, right? To be in the right frame of mind. Decide I'm not going to be bitter. Decide I'm not going to get mad. Decide I'm not going to quit. Just decide. And don't let your emotions control you, but control your emotions. That's the problem with our world today is everybody, men included, are driven by their emotion. We're not supposed to live by emotion. And I'm not even talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm talking about having faith in God. Even if I didn't choose to believe he was faithful, he's still faithful. <laughs> Amen. I can trust him no matter the situation. And I appreciate that song. And if you're going through something, by the way, all of us are, right? All of us have something that we battle or deal with or a burden that we carry. And just choose to trust him with it. Amen. The shepherd who led David to the valley led him through the valley. Amen. He said, I'll go through it with you. And you can trust the Lord. Well, tonight I want to look in Revelation chapter number 1, and we're going to read verse number 19 down through the first part of verse number 13. And I want to give you the thought God's laid on my heart for tonight. And uh, it's Wednesday night, and I know this is church crowd tonight especially. And uh, so I want to preach a little bit on Christ and his church and the importance of the church in this day and hour in which we live. The church has always been important, but I believe it's essential in this day and hour in which we live. We don't need a bunch of anemic churches that are limping back to Egypt, but we need some strong churches that are marching towards Zion. And I'm praying even in these last days that God would give us that. Revelation chapter number one. By the way, I believe we can probably get too crazy on some things, but you'll not get too crazy about the church. Revelation chapter number one, verse number nine. Look what the Bible says. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now that last phrase is a persecution phrase. That phrase is etched in stone in the catacombs in Rome, and Christians who were hiding from government oppression and persecution would write that there. Verse number 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Now let's stop right there. John is on the island of Patmos. John is there serving hard time and doing hard labor as a criminal because he was a Christian. He's been arrested. He's an old man. John is on this island, and on the Lord's Day, he's in the Spirit. And by the way, that's a good way to be when you go to church. That'd be a good message to preach. It's how you're supposed to go to church. You've got to be in the Spirit, amen, when you come to church. While he's in the Spirit there on the Lord's Day, he hears a voice. Now, John has heard this voice before but he's never heard it like this this voice that john hears arouses him it allures him it arrests his attention so much so that john wants to turn and see the source of the voice he probably thinks he's on that island it'd be a, a, a good time to see the one who's speaking to me 
in the circumstance that I'm in, in the situation that I'm going through, I'd like to see the one who's speaking. And so he turns around to see a voice. But look what it says in verse 12. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Wait a minute. He heard a voice and turned to see who was speaking. But when he turned to look, he didn't see a voice or the source of the voice. First, he saw these seven golden candlesticks. And then as he gazed on those golden candlesticks, the light that came forth from those candlesticks drew attention to the one who spoke. And then he looked in verse 13 and said, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, I finally found him. I found him in the candlesticks. Here's what he is. He's the son of man, one like unto the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and it goes on and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, and it goes on to describe his power, his authority, his judgment. Here's what I'm thinking. John looked for Jesus, but he didn't get a clear view of Jesus until first he got a good look at the candlesticks. Now you look in verse number 20 of the chapter and it, it defines and explains what these candlesticks are. These candlesticks are local churches. In fact, they're the churches of Asia Minor that he's writing to. John didn't get a good glimpse of Jesus till first he got a good look at the church. If those candlesticks had been tarnished, if their light had been dim, if they had not been attractive to John, I wonder if he'd have kept looking for the one who spoke. But because he was drawn in by the candlesticks, he got to see the one who was in the middle of them. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. Christ and his church in the last days, what's our purpose here? To, to shine for Jesus. To shine for Jesus. And I tell you, in this area and every area, we need some churches that will just shine for the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I pray for your help tonight. I pray you'd help me to encourage this church. And I pray that you'd help me to lift you up tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're even a casual student of your Bible, you know tonight from reading the Scripture, we're living in the last days. In fact, Christians have been living in the last days ever since the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ in the days of the book of Acts. Now tonight, I'm not a sign seeker and I'm not a date setter, but I try to be a Bible student. And I think from reading my Bible that the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church and we are living in the last days. Every moment that passes by on the clock and every time you turn a page on your own calendar, we're that much closer to Jesus Christ coming in the clouds and calling his church up to forever be with him. And by the way, that's going to be a good day, isn't it? Whenever we hear a shout and we're out, a trump and we'll jump and we'll go home to be with the Lord forever. Now there's no words tonight to fully express the relationship and the love that exists between Christ and his church. The Bible does give us several analogies to help us understand it. For example, the church is called Christ's body. The church is called Christ's bride. The church is called Christ's building. And the church is the purchased possession of Christ that he bought with his own blood on the cross of Calvary. Tonight, the church is not a lodge and the church is not a legion, but the church is a fellowship of saints that has eternity beating within their breast. Christ's church was a mystery in the Old Testament, 
But it's the main theme of the New Testament. Unlike Israel, the church is not a physical seed that is based upon race, but it is a spiritual seed that is based upon redemption. Tonight, our promises are not strictly physical, but the inheritance that we look for is spiritual. In Christ, every person who is saved has been baptized by one spiritual baptism into a spiritual body that we could call the church. I mean, Jew and Gentile, bond and free, barbarian and Scythian, male and female, all walks of life, all ethnicities, all age levels, all kind of baggage, all kind of background, but all yoked together by the bond of grace and the spiritual new birth. The church is a called out assembly of born again people. It is distinctly not of this world though it is in the world. John 15, 19 says you are not of the world but I have chosen you out of the world. And when you walk in to even the most humble house that holds the people of God you're walking into an assembly of redeemed people. You're looking at a royal priesthood and a bunch of sinners saved by grace that are now joined heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm glad there's no humanistic hierarchy in the church of Christ. But all of us are members and he alone is the head. No member in this body is part of this body because of their bank account, their charitable donation or their pedigree. But all of us tonight that are in have been grafted in by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm glad the ground is level and every member is just as important as the next. The church is not this building. The church is a body. The church is not a club. It is a living organism. Can I say tonight there is no place like the church. Sinners get saved at church. Prodigals get restored at church. Homes get put back together at the church. Young people get called to service at the church. Saints get encouraged at the church. Folks find comfort at the church. Hope is passed out at the church. The light is shining brightest at the church. Tonight I want to say I'm not a moose goose or a hoot owl but I'm glad I'm a born again blood washed child of God. I'm glad I've been grafted in. I'm part of the bride. I'm a block in the building and one of these days he'll call us home to be with him. You might not have a big bank account. You might not have the nicest clothes. You might not live in the biggest house but neighbor if you're saved and part of a church you got reason to shout until you see Jesus face to face. At times it might seem like the church is scattered and battered, but brother, the church will always march on. There might be seasons where she's pruned, but she'll never be cut down. Tonight, there's no way I can place too high of an emphasis upon the church of God. You might esteem a business too high. You might brag on your sports team too much. You might go overboard telling me about your house, but we can't make too much about the church that Jesus loves. Soon the Lamb will take his bride to be forever by his side. All the hosts in heaven will assembled be. Oh, it will be a glorious sight. All the saints in spotless white. And with Jesus they will feast eternally. Tonight Calvary was for the church. The inspiration and preservation of the scripture is for the church. The promise of resurrection is to the church. The promise of rapture is for the church. The mansions on streets of gold are waiting on the church. The Lamb's book of life is the register of the church ruling in the millennial kingdom is for the church the marriage supper of the lamb is for the church at our church we have an I love my church Sunday but I'm glad Jesus loves his church every day tonight I want to say that the Lord is our beloved and I'm glad we are his dove 
The foundation of the church is the person of Christ. The message of the church is the gospel of Christ. The objective of the church is the glory of Christ. The accountability of the church is the judgment seat of Christ. And the ultimate goal of the church is to hear, well done from Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the message, I said we're living in the last days, and I think we are. And according to 2 Timothy 3, that means we're going to see some perilous times. These are days today that are very unfriendly to the church. We see a general decline in church attendance all across our country. We watch as Sundays given to any activity other than spiritual activity. Our elected officials, I believe especially where I live, are passing laws against the church and they're trying to tighten the noose around the neck of what God wants to do. I see it in our nation where there's a redefining of scriptural principles in our pulpit and scientific truths in our public and it's leading to the declaring of churches to be nothing more than houses of fanatics and places of hate. But you better mark her down. In a world that is so unholy, a holy place is not going to be very favorable. In a day that's very atheistic they're not going to like a place that says there's a real God alive in heaven and in a generation that's so depraved a place that holds the line for righteousness won't be tolerated much longer here's what I'm afraid the day's going to come in America where the church will be severely censored sorely slandered and very much so persecuted and if you're a Bible believer tonight that ain't going to excite you but at the same time it ought not discourage you because if you and I were to take a step back tonight and panoramically look at church history from the days of Christ through the book of Acts and up to our own day, you'll find that persecution has never been an enemy to the church and pressure from the world has never been an enemy to the church. The blood of the martyrs has been the seed of the work of God. You'll find the church was birthed in persecution. The church has prospered in persecution and the church has promised to prevail in spite of persecution. And every time the devil tries to stomp out the fire of God. He scatters sparks all over creation and churches are started and preachers are called and revival takes place and sinners get saved. I read a statement that says if the devil never roared the church would never sing. I'm glad in a day when that old lion's roaring louder than ever before that God has given the church opportunity to sing her most beautiful song and tonight as we live in these last days right before Jesus comes back I'm want us to consider it's our duty it is our privilege it is our obligation to shine for Jesus in a dark day shine in a bad day shine in a down day shine in a compromising day shine don't fold it in don't throw in the towel don't take down the banner don't drop the standard but raise the standard high hey the rally Christ still hold the fort for he is coming it's time to shine for Jesus Revelations, the last book of your Bible. It was penned by John while he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos. In fact, John penned this very book seven different times. Can you imagine that? Now you look here at the book of Revelation compared to Genesis and there's a theme or a contrast. In Genesis, there's the creation of the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, it's the creation of the new heavens and new earth. In Genesis, the first Adam reigned in the garden. In this Revelation, the second Adam gets to reign in glory. In Genesis, the sun begins to shine to light the day. In Revelation, there's no need of the sun because the Lamb is the light of the city. In Genesis, night is created. In Revelation, night is no more. In Genesis, there's a bride for Adam. In Revelation, there's a bride for Jesus. In Genesis, man is driven from God and locked 
from his presence. In Revelation, man dwells with God and is always in his presence. In Genesis, death begins. In Revelation, death ends. In Genesis, you find paradise lost. In Revelation, paradise is found. In Genesis, there is temporal rest. In Revelation, there is eternal rest. In Genesis, they looked for a city. In Revelation, we get to live in that city. Genesis ends with a coffin in Egypt land, but Revelation ends with rejoicing around a throne in glory. I'm glad our God is good at writing happy endings. And let me encourage you tonight. I know a lot of folks that are scared of the book of Revelation because there's a lot of things in there they think it's hard to be understood, but I think that's the devil because the promise is this. You'll be blessed if you read the words of this prophecy. Let me remind you tonight, don't hide from this book. Dive into this book because it reminds us that our God's a winner and the devil's a loser and I'm glad we're on the winning side. Here in chapter 1 through 3, these chapters deal with Christ and these seven local churches in Asia Minor. Now as you study these opening chapters, the theme begins to unravel. After chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4, the church is raptured out and no longer here on the earth. From that point on, the church is around the throne in heaven until the second advent where we ride shotgun with Jesus and he takes care of things. Amen. In John's day, the postal route through Asia Minor started there in Ephesus and ran to Laodicea. So if you think about John standing on the Isle of Patmos and looking the way he would have looked toward the east, he would see those cities lined out. And the way he writes these letters, he writes these letters in order as those cities appear on the map. If you take them from here and go down this way, clockwise on the map. I thought that's pretty interesting how God laid those seven churches out. You know, seven is the number of completion and perfection. And there's more meaning to that than just seven local churches in that day. But I believe God has given us the entire overview of church history from the book of Acts up until our day right before the rapture. And I like how he begins to write from Ephesus to Laodicea in clockwise order reminding us that God's clock is running right on time and one of these days when God says it's time everything's going to work out just how God wants it to work out now chapter 1 brings us to this old man on the Isle of Patmos he's a preacher he's a pastor and now he's a prisoner he's been scourged and malnourished and now he's busting rocks on the Isle of Patmos when he was banished, they would have stripped him of all of his property and all of his civil rights. But I tell you what I like about John. He's the last surviving apostle, 90 years old. He's known more for his love or his passion. But I think we ought to give him an amen for his perseverance. I'm glad he wasn't a quitter. I'm glad he didn't bow out. I'm glad he might have had some love, but he wasn't soft. Amen. And he's still serving God in this old age. Here in verse 1, John identifies himself. He calls himself at the end of the verse. He said, unto his servant, John. I like his humble spirit. He didn't say, I'm the last surviving apostle. He didn't say I'm a man of God. He just said I'm a servant. That's all that I am. In verse number 2 he identifies his theme. He said you bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I don't know what your Bible says. Mine got it wrong. It says the revelation of St. John the divine. It is not the revelation of St. John anybody. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The entirety of this book is about the Lord. In verse number 4 John identifies his audience. In verse 4 he says John to the seven churches which are in 
Asia. So he's writing to these local visible churches. In verse number 9, he identifies his setting. It says in verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 10, the first part, he identifies his disposition and the day. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Boy, I'd pay people money to come in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Man, I'd make preaching easy, wouldn't it? People just show up to church halfway Spirit-filled. Amen. Happy to be there. Now, in verse 10, he identifies a voice. It said, I read it to you earlier, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a voice, watch this, as of a trumpet. I imagine John is isolated from others because they hated him. All the Christians of that day were persecuted, and John is sort of like the poster child for the movement because he's the last surviving apostle. You better believe they hated John. I don't doubt John was isolated from other criminals. He's out there on his own with chains on his body, maybe busting rocks. I mean, he's alone on that island. You better believe when he heard a voice like that coming from behind him, it probably stirred him just a little bit. I'd say John, as he heard that voice like a trumpet. A trumpet's very authoritative. Used 41 times in the book of Revelation. It's a voice with power like many waters. He hears that voice. He turns around and says, man, i got to see that voice. I'm on this island. I'm alone. I'm isolated. I'm serving hard times. I want to see who's speaking to me. I've never heard a voice like that. I, I want to touch the one who's speaking to me. I want to see the one who's speaking to me. It arrested his attention. It grabbed a hold of his heart. He said, I got to see that voice. I can see John as he turns around. He begins to look for that voice. He said, I just want to see him. I want to lay my eyes on him. It's been moving my heart. It's on my mind. I never heard a voice like that voice before. And he turns around to see a voice. But the Bible says he doesn't see the source of the voice first, first he sees seven golden candlesticks now he'd been awakened by a voice but the first thing he sees are these golden candlesticks now I know what you know what it is but think about it these seven golden candlesticks stood independently one from another but they were unified by the light that they shined and by the one who moved in their midst we're not talking about a Jewish menorah that's all connected together, one branch with many stems, but something totally new, something totally unique, something totally peculiar to the New Testament. These candlesticks were independent. They stood separate. They were illuminated. They each had a light to shine, and they were invaluable. They were plated with gold. Now you think about these golden candlesticks. What they were were the stem or the rod, the stick, that would hold the clay pot that would be filled with the oil. And and then that clay pot that was filled with oil would be lit to shine a light. Boy, there's a lot in that, isn't it? I mean, those lights were not as effective if they weren't on that candlestick. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that you and I are to let our light shine, right? We don't hide it under a bushel. We don't hide it under a bed. But we are to let our light so shine. You see, you take that light and put it on the floor. It doesn't give off as much light. It's not as effective. So you take the light and stick it up on that candlestick so the light can be clear 
clearly seen. And here's the application. The Bible said in verse number 20 that those candlesticks are those local churches. So the light that is shining comes from that conglomeration, if you will, that assembly of saints that has been put there on top of that candlestick filled with the Holy Spirit of God and given a light to shine in that generation. So when John turned around to see the Lord, he didn't see the Lord until first he saw the churches. And I like what happened. He saw the Lord in the churches on Sunday. I'm glad he could go to church on Sunday and find Jesus in the churches. I'm glad there were some churches there on Sunday that were still in operation and Jesus was moving in the midst. You see those golden candlesticks were pretty but their purpose was not to be a show. Their purpose wasn't to be pretty. Their purpose was to shine a light to draw attention to the one that was moving in the midst. Their light was to allure and to advertise and lift up the son of man that was walking in the middle of them. John turned around to see a who but he found the who and a where. I'm glad he wasn't unimpressed. I'm glad he wasn't turned off. I'm glad he wasn't disappointed by those candlesticks. Now let me apply it. The cause that we have tonight as a church, you have as a church and our church has, is to brighten up the blackness in our day. I don't want folks to say, my, what a church. I want folks to say, my, what a Christ. It was grace that enabled us to shine. It was grace that placed us in our candlestick. And it was grace that allows us to make Jesus known to our world. In these last days, it's essential that we shine for Jesus. I remember hearing the illustration of a boy that went to church and his daddy gave him a penny to give him the offering. And by the way, you've got to get a bad paycheck to tie the penny. But he said, when you get to church, I want you to give that penny to God. And that boy went to church and there on the way home, the dad was driving the boys in the back seat and he heard the unmistakable sound of a coin flipping in the back seat. He turned around and saw his son flipping that penny. He said, son, I told you to give that thing to God at church. He said, daddy, I was going to, but I never saw God at church. I think that's the problem in our generation is you go to a lot of places, supposedly houses of God, places of worship. They have church on their sign. You could go there from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock and you wouldn't bump into God anywhere on that property. There's a whole lot of stuff going on there, but there's not much God going on there. I'm glad the first time that I darkened the door of an independent, fundamental, premillennial, temperamental Baptist church that they had sold out, that they hadn't dropped the standard, that they weren't deader than a hammer, that they weren't mourning the death of their God. I'm glad they had some shout. I'm glad they had some joy. I'm glad they sang with fire and preached with power. I'm glad the lights were on. I'm glad the doors were open. I'm glad the saints were shouting. I'm glad it was on in that place. I walked in there and I thought it was weird, man. I've never been anywhere like that in my life. I thought, what in the world is this place? I thought it was a cult, you know? I thought these are the happiest cult members I ever met. I've never seen anything like it. They were singing victory in Jesus and saying amen and, and, and what a friend we have in Jesus and shouting hallelujah and I saw Jesus in their joy. What they did is they kept the light on at that little country church and I got saved because the light was shining in a dark day. I say John 12 21 is still applicable today. Sirs, we would see Jesus. They don't come to see a show. They don't come to see a preacher. They don't come to hear a choir. They don't come to see me or you. Our 
world needs to see the Lord. And if they can't find Jesus in the church, where are they going to find him? If they can't find him in a Bible-believing church, where are they going to find him? If our world can't find Christ in the candlestick, where are they going to find him? Charles Spurgeon said, no Christ in your sermon, sir. Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching about. Today, darkness covers our world. Darkness is putting people in chains. Darkness corrupts our culture. I tell you what we need is to shine for Jesus. We live in a dark hour, I know, but God is on his throne, and the Bible's still right, and the Holy Spirit still works, and church is still on the agenda. Shine till Jesus comes. People are starving for truth. They're dying for truth. They're looking for truth. And today the church is just printing menus and never cooking meals. We're so worried about organizing, but my Bible said the wind blows where it wants to. We're worried about the finances, but Peter said, silver and gold have I none. We're worried about being normalized in our culture, but my Bible said we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. We want to have the appearance of success, but our Lord had no beauty or comeliness that we should desire Him. And I'll say this, the world is not going to believe in a religion that has no power or a church that has no light to shine. It's not just important. It is imperative. Don't drop it here. Don't let it fall here. Don't change it here. Keep the light on in this place and shine for Jesus now let me give you three things you think about the context of the day that John was living in when he saw the light on in these churches what kind of days were they well number one these churches were showing Christ in days of secular persecution you say what do you mean John's living in days where Christianity was hated what do you mean I mean Nero fierce anti-Christian persecution I mean, the temple was destroyed by Titus, the son of the Roman emperor. I mean, Domitian banished John, and Rome was killing Christians. The apostles were martyred, and there's a systematic termination of anyone who believed in the Lord. They faced censorship and threats and arrest and protest and death, but I like it. They still shined on for the Lord. They didn't worry about the world being a friend to them because they weren't looking to make friends with the world. They understood the world hated their Savior, and it hated them too. Kind of like a Moses in the face of Pharaoh or Daniel before Nebuchadnezzar or Elijah in Ahab. They weren't looking for a truce. They were looking to turn that place upside down for God. They weren't worried about legislation. They weren't worried about the persecution. They weren't worried about a jail cell. They just wanted to be faithful unto death for the Lord. It's amazing to me, and we saw it happen during COVID, how many folks will talk a big game until their neck is actually on the block. And then watch how fast compromise creeps in. Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lies in the world. If you're not getting any heat for what happens around here, then nothing's happening around here. Because you can't preach what we preach from this book and not get shot at every once in a while. You do understand that we are crazy, right? Have you watched the news lately? I mean, if we believe that a dog's a dog and a cat's a cat, then we're crazy. Amen. If we, if we, if we, if we believe that every, every oven ought to be electric, wait, that's what they believe. Do you see that? They're going to start outlawing gas stoves. People are crazy. But you let a lot of crazy... Lester Roloff said, here's the problem with America. The inmates are running the asylum. 
we're going to have to stand against secular persecution. We've been talking about it. The, the old-time preachers, the older preachers, they weren't bragging about every potluck they got invited to or ministerial association meeting or getting to cut the ribbon on every new city building. They were saying, well, how many times have you been in jail? Amen. Paul, how many times? I've been stoned this many times. I've been beaten this many times. I've been shipwrecked this many times. You know why that was? That's because he wasn't some smooth, swathe speaker on the television, man. He's a man of God out there preaching what God laid on his heart. I tell you, we need some churches in this day that aren't going to be PC. Amen. They're not going to fall in line with cancel culture. They're not going to just fit in with the mold. And if anything comes down to us that goes against the word of God, we ought to obey God rather than man. Shine your light in days of secular persecution. Let me get stuck on the next one. They showed forth Christ, shined their light in days of spiritual perversion. If you read and study it out, the letters that he wrote to these seven churches, every one of them had something they were dealing with. Now, two of them he didn't have to correct a whole lot in, but all of them had issues. The church at Ephesus left their first love. The church at Pergamos was wrapped up in idolatry. Thyatira was compromising, and they were paganistic. The church in Sardis acted like they had some life, but they were deader than last year's Christmas tree. Amen. The church at Laodicea was lukewarm, and God wanted to spew them out of his mouth. Smyrna and Philadelphia were battling against the synagogue of Satan, so five out of seven of those churches all had a mess that needed to get cleaned up. And here's what he said. He said, you better keep your light shining. In these days when compromise is creeping in, in these days where there's a redefining of position, in these days when the standard is being dropped, in these days when people are selling out in these days where they're assimilating, in these days where they're looking for trend and not truth, in these days where they want to be vogue, in these days where it's fashion over fundamental and popular over the power of God and all superficial and no spirit power. He said, you better hold the fort and shine the light and don't bend to that crowd. I tell you what I'm afraid of in these days. I'm afraid we have no depth. I'm afraid we have no doctrine. I'm afraid we have no distinction and there's no declaration from the pulpit. Today is do whatever you want but no Nobody better say what thus saith the Lord. I say it's still right to preach the Bible and stand where God stands, to hold it tight. I mean, to preach it tight, to keep the line drawn tight. I don't think we ought to bend where the Bible doesn't bend. I don't think we ought to move where God doesn't move. I think we ought to just plant our feet like a tree by the rivers of water and say, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I still believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. I still believe the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. I still believe whosoever will can be saved. I still believe it takes the blood to atone for sin. I still believe a man ought to be a preacher and a woman ought to be a wife. Amen. I still believe it. I still believe once you're saved, you're saved forever. I still believe Jesus is coming before the tribulation. I still believe there's a resurrection of the saints. I still believe it all. I still believe heaven has streets of gold. I still believe there's gates of pearl. I still believe there's a crystal sea. I still believe there's a throne with an emerald rainbow around it. I still I still believe every word of this thing is true. I believe God created man in his own image. Male and female created either him. I don't believe God made a mistake. I don't believe there's evolution. Can I say we're too enamored today with scholarship. We're too caught up in being accepted by this world. Educated men ain't gave us nothing but homosexuality and transgenderism and, and evolution and all that ideology out there in the world. I'm not against you learning something from a book, but you'd be better with your nose in that book right there. I tell you we're too 
wrapped up in pedigree. What we need is a pine thicket and a prayer closet, a pea patch somewhere, and get a hold of God again. I still believe it's right to be old-fashioned because old-fashioned is Bible. I'm not talking about 1970. I'm not talking about 1950. I'm talking about the book of Acts. I'm talking about preaching and praying, singing and shouting and walking with God. I don't want to change. I don't want to drop the standard. I don't want to fold. I don't want to fit in. I don't want to go with the crowd. I want to go outside the camp with Jesus. It's not time to change, church. Don't you drop it here. Hold the fort. Hold the line. Shine for Jesus. I don't want to go from waving my Bible to waving whatever flag is popular this month. We've gone from conviction to relativism. Church used to be the alarm clock. Now she's the snooze button. Won't cry out for the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. That's where we're at. But I wasn't commanded to draw a crowd. He'll do that if I lift him up. Amen. I'm just supposed to preach the word. Be instant in season. I'm not looking to erect another cathedral to compromise. That's what's all over America. Cathedrals to compromise. Pathetic. You don't even know what it is. It just says ridge. What's that, the top of the hill? I don't know what that is. The onion or whatever. I mean, there's that one. I mean, it's like oak whatever it is. I mean, what, what is that? Hello? Took a lot of money from a lot of faithful, independent, fundamental Baptist churches to help them plant their church. Then they get it going and drop Baptist from their name. They put, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, but they won't say King James Bible. They hide all that, right? If you muted their service and watched it, you'd have to take 20 minutes to figure out, is that the comedy barn at Gatlinburg? Right? Saturday Night Live. Or is that a church? If it takes me 20 minutes to figure out if you're putting on a, a show or having a service, there's a problem right there. You get inside that Holy of Holies, it didn't have a blacked out ceiling. It had an atmosphere for worship. You look up at that inner, inner ceiling and see those cherubims and all that tapestry there, man. And it wasn't dark in there either. There was a light shining in that place. Can I say there's a problem with somebody that wants to darken it down and liven it up and make the thing sound like it sounds down at the honky-tonk or the nightclub. Can I say that might go some places, but I'd not go here. Amen. There's got to be one church in town that doesn't just go with the crowd, jump over the cliff, but holds the ground for God. Amen. We're so enamored with this thing, so drunk on being accepted and driven by comfort that all we do is produce perverted places of worship. Shine your light in days of secular persecution. Shine your light in days of spiritual perversion. One more. You think about the days John lived in. You better shine your light in days of a shaking perplexity. See what he mean? I would say John in his flesh was wondering, man, did I miss something? I don't reckon John would have written out his story and ended it at Patmos. <clears throat> I'd think he'd probably want to go out Pastor Emeritus somewhere. You know what I mean? Drive a town car, something like that. Not being a criminal on some island and then, you know, whatever. Maybe he thought sometimes, boy, I hope this thing's going to turn out all right. What I'm saying is the day that he lived in was a day where he might have started questioning some things. Just give me some room in his flesh. You say, How do you, why do you think that? Because that's what I'd have done. We live in a day today where everything is being questioned. Everything that we have ever known or believed 
everything that has already been proven, even without, take your Bible away and just, just with, with, with scientific observation. You say, what's that mean? I mean, take two seconds when you're in the shower and figure it out. Everybody all right? We're taking everything that is settled and questioning it. In fact, the trend is, if it's not broke, break it. It used to be, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But now, if it's not broke, let's break it and make something new out of it. People are looking for answers in places that just gender more questions. Our universities, our politicians, the characterization of our day is confusion. And here's what bothers me about it. Even Christians are being manipulated and messed with by media and backslidden family members and sorry preachers that won't preach it. To where now they don't even know if they, it gets tight in Bible-believing churches when you start preaching on homosexuality. And I'm, not, and I'm not hateful against anybody. And almost every one of us probably has something like that in our family. Or we have some close enough to where we, can, we know who it is. So I'm not saying we hate anybody. But I'm still saying that that is wrong. That is not normal. And it doesn't help. By the way, it doesn't help when we're quiet about it. Amen. I was preaching in our church the other night. Now, our church is only 35 miles from San Francisco. Chattanooga is just as bad, so calm down there. But anyway, here it is. I was, I was preaching the other night. I was preaching the other night, and the ugliest-looking six-foot-five blonde woman came in the back door. I mean, I'm talking like ugly, Sam. You'd even passed. You'd have passed. I know I... I saw, a photo, I saw a photoshopped picture of some girl with a ring on her finger. I know that can't be legit, right? There ain't nobody out there. Poor thing. That has to be fabricated. Next thing you're going to tell me is we landed on the moon. Come on now. But anyway, I was in the back. Th I, I was preaching, so it's in the middle of the service. I mean, she walked in built like Dwayne Johnson or whatever. You know, this... Look at this carnal church. They all knew who that was, brother. I came walking in. I just heard about it today. Anyway, came walking in the back door there. Oh, my. I was preaching, so I, could, I was like, what in, what in the world is that? Five o'clock shadow. I think she played linebacker for the 49ers, you know. It was a man. We picked out the deacon we hate the most and said, would you take care of that for us? Yeah. <laughs> but you see that all the time. Can I say that's still not right? Amen. If you're born a man, then that's what you are. Amen. I tell you what caused transgenderism, though, is the fact that men wouldn't be men. Amen. Amen. The feminization of men in America, where we're supposed to be soft. I'm not saying we're to be rude, crude, and mean. No, not at all. I'm talking about we ought to be like Jesus. Amen. But he was a man. I think we ought to be like that. And then the masculinity that we see in women today, it's all manipulation. The Bible said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Here's what I'm afraid of. We bend where the Bible is immovable. The Bible doesn't bend. Truth is absolute. Truth is our final authority. And truth is in the scripture. Tonight, here was my burden. It's Wednesday night. And I knew it was going to be strictly you folks. Would you keep shining for Jesus here? Don't change it. And don't be scared to, to preach it and live it.
Amen. And shine your light for the Lord. And by the way, don't put pressure on him to change it. I'm not saying you are. I don't think anybody is. But don't do that. Amen. And don't put pressure on your parents to change it. <clears throat> Amen. And parents, don't put pressure on other people to change it because your kid, you can't control them. Say amen right there. But let's just shine for Jesus in these last days. There's going to be somebody wandering in this place on a Wednesday night, a Sunday. They're going to need to see the Lord. And we can't afford to miss it. Amen. I remember I was preaching in Rockingham, North Carolina, many, many years, probably 16 years ago, 15 years ago. On a Wednesday night, a woman came in the service. While I'm preaching, she came down to the altar and got saved afterwards, and we, nobody knew her. And I said, what's your name? And she gave me her name, and I could tell she had an accent that wasn't a South Carolina accent. I said, where are you from? She said, I'm from Massachusetts. And I said, what are you doing down here? She said, I knew this was the Bible Belt. She said, I drove all the way down here to go to church so I could get saved. And I said, man, hallelujah. She said, yeah, but listen, she said, this is the third church I pulled into tonight. She said, I pulled into two other ones first, but they weren't having church. She said, I happened to be driving by and saw the lights on here and came in and she got saved. We've got to keep our light burning. Amen. Let's bow our heads with me. Now, invitation. Why don't you come pray for your church? Pray as a church, maybe, that God would just keep this place faithful till he comes. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. Thank you for the privilege to be in church on a Wednesday. <clears throat> I pray you'd help us just to follow our Bible and to look for your coming in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you come pray tonight? Altar is open if God spoke to your heart about some things. Maybe you got saved in church. Got married in church, got called to preach in church. You want to just come thank the Lord for the church? Maybe for this church, maybe it happened for you here. Why don't you come spend some time in prayer? Come pray that God will give you boldness and conviction and a love for the Bible. Whenever you're ready, Brother Sam, you can when say.